Hey, good morning. Hey, if you're new, man, uh, really glad that you're here. I'm Charlie, uh, the lead pastor here. Really glad that you guys are um, are worshiping with us today. We are in kind of a, a week two of our series in Ephesians, and we call this uh, series "Sit, Walk, Stand." And kind of as I was thinking through this, this through this concept of "Sit, Walk, Stand," the thing that I, I thought about this week is, you know, for some of you probably young enough to remember when you learned how to drive, and for some of us on the other end of the spectrum. Uh, we're remembering, I can remember uh, what it was like teaching uh, someone to drive, right? And, and it's challenging because the thing is, is I think that most people, especially in the, you know, the 14 to 16-year-old range, I was like this, my kids were like this, you just kind of intuitively think, I, well, I, I, I know how to drive. I know how to drive. I've been watching people drive forever. I know how to drive. I mean, go, stop, move, right? I mean, it's, it's really simple. I mean, it's, a, it's an easy concept. It's a, driving's not hard. And, you know, then, they, you know, back in the day, actually, to get a physical book, you have to get a little book, and now it's, you know, it's online or whatever. And I'm uh, like, what do I need this book for? Like, they're not going to teach me how to drive. And then you read the book. It's like, man, this stuff is ridiculous. Like, how many inches you have to be from the curb, and if you're parking uphill, which direction your wheels have to be. And at 40 miles an hour, you have to leave this much space, and at 60, it's this and this. And you're like, who even cares? And so you don't study and you flunk the test, right? And then you think, well, I, I, then you eventually get over yourself, and you at least, um, you know, study the second time, and, and then you take it, and, um, and, then, and then, then the fun begins, right? And then you get behind that wheel for the very first time, uh, brimming uh, with overwhelming confidence uh, un, un, until it happens, whatever the it is, and usually it's some version of, I meant to hit the brake, but I hit the gas, right? And then, and then for a split second, you know, you, you know, except for maybe a random few of us, that mistake was uh, easily corrected and in a relatively safe, big, wide-open parking lot, right? But in that moment, you were like, oh, 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 I, I don't know what I'm doing. And, 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 and fear kind of, kind of overwhelms you. And so then you, you realize that you thought you knew what to do, but, but you don't. And you would never send a kid out you think you know how to drive. I'm sure you do. Here are the keys. Go do it. I mean, there's, there's too much at stake, and it actually is, is hard. And, and what you need to be able to do, and again, to use this, to use this kind of this, this name here, you, you need to sit here a little bit first. You need to sit here and let me explain to you kind of what's about to happen and what you need to know and what you need to understand. And then once you do that, then we can walk. Then you can, then you can, then you can go out and, and you can do it. And then the stand actually has the idea of, you know, in, in Ephesians and this too, it's like, hey, be careful, you know. You, you need to sit here and learn some things and then you can go do it, but you need to be careful. There are forces out there opposing you is what Paul's going to tell us in Ephesians 6, which again, I don't know how you teach people how to drive, but that's part of it too. It's like, hey, this is what you need to know. Now go drive and, and be aware everyone's out to kill you. <laughs> if you'll drive like everyone is out to kill you, you'll be just fine, right? And I was, I was wondering as I was sitting here preparing for this all week, it's like, I wonder something's going to happen, and like even the drive today, it's like a it's like five-minute drive and no one's out there in the morning when I come on Sunday mornings to, to go to McDonald's to sit for a little bit. And sure enough, man, this guy's coming, I'm coming down township, the guy's pulling out of come and go and decided, well, I could pull into my lane, but you know what would be even better? I'm going to turn and pull into his lane. And it's like right in the here, like, dude, you're trying to kill me, and I'm going to use an illustration today. <laughs> Death attempting to kill me. And so... There's things that you need to know before you can really go out and do it. And be careful, it's not as easy as you think. 
And here's the thing that I think about when, when I think about historically kind of what the church does. I think historically what the church has done is, is, is we've, we've overemphasized walk without understanding the sit part. And so you come to church, it's like, here's what you need to do. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. Stop doing this. This is bad, 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 good, good, good. Do this, don't do that. And we now go, right? And, and we tell you what you're supposed to do, tell you what you're not supposed to do, and then tell you, go out, go out and do it. You know, we have some series, you know, that are very practical like that. It's like, hey, you know, here's how you can be a better husband. Here's how you can be a better wife. And, you know, you need to stop arguing in this way. You need to, you need to have communication like this. And we talk about money. And it's like, hey, you need to, you need to stop, stop, stop using those credit cards. You need to only spend what you have. And you need to start giving with the first part to God. These are real practical things. And I think for the most part, you know, you come and you hear these things that you're supposed to do. You, you, you hear these things that you're supposed to do, and you can do them for a little while, depending on how hard they are. Sometimes, you know, I'm going to try to be a better, I'm going to try to be a better husband. I can get about three days. You can give me one 30-minute inspirational speech, and it gives like three days of husband. And, and then I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. She's she not listening. She's not doing what she's supposed to do. And then you're back to right where you were, right? And you, and you, and you think you can do that with money, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to do better. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to discipline myself. And then it doesn't, and then it doesn't last. But it's because there's some, there's some things we don't know. And especially then if you go to the next level. Like maybe I can, maybe I can through one 30-minute inspirational speech get you to modify your spending habits or to get you to talk to your spouse in a different way. But let's just imagine that the 30-minute inspirational speech was, okay, you guys are too anxious. Now I want you to leave out of here and don't be anxious anymore. You need to be content with what you have. Now go be content. Go have peace. Be peaceful. Stop being anxious. I want you to be patient with the people in the cars that are trying to kill you. Right? Wait. You hear that and you think, that's a good idea. I should be less anxious. I should be more patient. I wish I were more content. I think there's something in us, man. We just know. I can't, I can't do that. There's no, there's no speech that's going to inspire me to suddenly to, to be able to do that. And, and I think that we as a church, we do, we do people a disservice. If, if all we do is we just kind of shout what you're supposed to do at you, and we don't take a moment and say, man, there's some real spiritual truths that you need to understand and embrace if you're going to be able to long-term walk the way that God's called you. Because there's this intuitive thing that I think that we all have. This intuitive thing that, 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 that kind of draws all of us here is this idea that God wants more from me than this. Wherever it is that you are, wherever you, know, wherever you feel like you are in your journey, there's this sense in which there's something more or better or different than what I am and what I should be. There's a, there's a gap here somewhere. And so we come here to a place that, that where, where there are answers to what God has to say and, and I want to understand what God wants from me. And, so, and, and, I, and I understand this. This is what I want. And so I've come here whether I'm still exploring whether or not following Christ and being a Christian, I'm still exploring that idea. 
or I've been doing this for a while. We all have this in us. We all recognize, man, there's something. There's something more that God wants. And Paul explains, I think, this idea in Ephesians 2, verse 10. In Ephesians 2, verse 10, Paul says this. It says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So when we have this idea, this kind of unsettledness in us, that says, I should be doing or being or living a certain way, doing something that I'm not doing. There's, there's this spur that we have to, to be different. I mean, this is, this is by design. And Paul describes it this way. You were actually created for this purpose. One of the primary reasons for which you were created were to follow and live a life of good works that God kind of laid out for you. It says He created you, and He created you in Christ in part to do these good things that He's called you to do. That is one of the primary purpose and directives of your life. And we sense this. When, when things aren't right, when I'm not doing or being who I'm supposed to, something's not right, and it draws us here. It draws us here. Wherever we are, again, on our journey, kind of, it's the idea we came, it's why, maybe that's why we came the first time. Or maybe that's why we keep coming back. But this is not, as Paul's kind of introducing this idea, this is not his introduction. This is his summary of nine previous verses of explaining the things that you're going to have to understand, the things that you need to sit, the, the spiritual realities that you need to make sure that you fully embrace that are ultimately going to give you the ability to do this long term. Because just like with, a, with a, a New Year's resolution, too often there's just, there just seems to be a too short, too quick of an expiration date on these changes that we feel like that God is wanting us to make. And so before Paul gets into all the things that he's wanting to tell them, he's kind of got some, some truths that he's wanting them to sit down and understand. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1. As for you, uh, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So everybody he's talking to right now, they're all believers. And so and I know in this room there's still some people who are still just kind of trying to decide if they really want to believe and follow Christ. But here he's kind of telling about, hey, you remember the way you used to be. There was a time in your life when you were just completely dead, overwhelmed by your transgressions and sins. You were spiritually dead. And you used to, you used to follow kind of the way, you kind of just used to live in a way that just the world at large lives. And in a way that, you know, he talks about the ruler of the kingdom of the air. You kind of lived in opposition to God the way that, that, that demons do, the way that Satan does. And, you know, he's, he's working in the, the lives and... and, and through people who are disobeying and rebelling against God. And, and you used to be like that too. You need to remember that. Verse 3, all of us also lived among them at one time. And that's kind of assuring. So the things that we're talking about, you know, we, don't have to take them, we don't have to take it personally. This is true for all of us. We were all like that. I was like that. We were all like this. And he describes it this way, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. There was a time in your life, and maybe this, I, mean, I think this will resonate, it should resonate with us, when, when really the only grid by which uh, we used to make a decision 
was, do I want to? Do I want to? Yes. Do I not want to? Then no. What I want, I do. What I don't want, I don't do. You know, it doesn't sound very good when it's described that way. It seems very much like a two-year-old. But there's part of us, you know, that, that, that really hasn't graduated much from two-year-old. Have you ever, have you ever been, je- seriously, have you ever been jealous of a two-year-old? Like they're, like, they're sitting there, like, at the mall, and you don't want to be at the mall either, and they're, like, throwing this huge fit, just screaming that they don't want to be there, and I'm like, bruh, yeah. <laughs> like, like he, just has, he just has more freedom than I do, right? <laughs> it's not that I'm a whole lot different. And then he describes it this way. He says, like the rest, we were na- by nature deserving of wrath. And we need to make sure we're clear on what this word means. We're going to find a few words. Wrath. We kind of make it think of like it's kind of we use it in terms of just kind of unbridled anger and and just kind of cruelty, but in in a in, in the biblical context, what wrath means is essentially punishment is probably a good word. So it's it's something bad happening that is deserved. So again, it's it's there's lots of wrath that goes on in good parent. Good parenting involves a lot of wrath. Now I'm not saying that you should be angry. Angry is not the word. It's not wrath. Is anger. Wrath is giving a punishment that is deserved. You don't talk to your mom that way, and because you talk to your mom that way, this is your consequence. That's what wrath is. So we need to make sure that we understand that wrath is not just just unjustifiable kind of random anger, but wrath has the idea of a measured punishment based on what you've done. And so because of our sins, what Paul's described, man, you're spiritually dead and you're under God's wrath. And that would be really depressing if Ephesians 2 ended there. But the best word in the passage, verse 4, But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that, In the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Now, it's very important to me because let's put all these verses together and it just starts to feel like he's saying a whole bunch of just kind of churchy words all in a row. Blessing of God in Jesus is great and stuff and good and yay, right? Like, but what is he he saying? And there's two words that I think are kind of along with wrath that we need to make sure that we understand. And the first one is grace. We use this word a lot in different contexts, and we don't know what it means. Like, does anybody want to say grace? And we, and that was grace mean it means like before, before meal prayer, right? Or grace just kind of just meaning just kind of general good things. But grace, what it means is, is you get something good that you don't deserve. And so it's really important that you understand that that every time that you read that that word, and it's in the Bible a lot, Paul uses it especially a lot. That we understand what that means. It's getting something good you don't deserve. Like a birthday present, right? Like, what did you do to earn your birthday present? Well, maybe that's not the best example. I survived a year, right? I mean, like, I, I, didn't, I survived one year, so I get a present. Okay, fine. What about a Christmas present? What did you do to earn a Christmas present? It's not even your birthday, right? It's this dude's birthday, and somehow I give you a present. Like, you don't, you don't, you don't deserve that. It is, it, it's, it's a gift. There's nothing you did to earn it. It is just a legitimate, full, and total gift. And then it talks about God's mercy. And mercy has the idea of you deserve a bad thing, but you don't get it. So wrath is, I deserve a bad thing and I get it. 
Mercy is, I deserve a bad thing, but I don't get it. So you're out there, and, and you're driving, and you're driving in an aggressive way because you believe, like I do, that everyone's trying to kill you. And the best way to do it is to go at really top speed, right? So I'm just going to avoid all of them at 20 miles over the limit, right? And so, and then the police officer pulls you over, and then you start to get angry because you're an aggressive driver. And you get really angry, and you start saying things like, well, where is he out here? He's wasting his time. He should be out there catching criminals, right? That's what you say. And he is catching criminals. He caught you, right? And, um, and then you're, 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 but you're mad and you don't feel like it's fair. And then he says the thing that you're really hoping, I'm just going to give you a warning this time. And he just gives you a warning and you feel like that you deserve that. When really that's exactly what mercy is. The law says you drive this fast and this. saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Again, comparing grace and gift, put those things together. It is a gift of God, not by works, you didn't earn it, so that no one can boast. And then it's out of that that we get back to Ephesians 2.10. You were dead, you were under wrath, God in His mercy and His grace has brought you out of this place and given you the riches of Jesus Christ, and you are God's handiwork now created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. So you need to understand, if you understand all of these things, now you are ready to go out and do the incredible things that God has called you to do. And so specifically, there's three things that I want to make sure that we are grasping from this passage. We've kind of understood, maybe it's kind of the big picture of this. We've kind of tried to define a few very Bible-y kind of words. There's a few principles that I think that's going to be real important for us to kind of sit in. I sit in these. I understand these. I'm letting all this sink in so that I can be ready to walk the way that God's called me to. And the first one is this. You know, we say, God wants more for me than this, but we are spiritually dead. We are spiritually dead. That is Paul's description of us. And there's something about that, depending on your background and your belief in yourself, that somehow that seems overstated. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not dead. I mean, that's not because you, know, you think about it. But dead, dead people can't do anything, right? Dead people can't work. Dead people don't help. Dead people can't get better. Dead people just are dead. And there's nothing that dead people can contribute. But I can contribute a lot. I'm really good. I'm really smart. And so there's something about us. I think that it's kind of, there's a pride in us that, um, that makes us want to reject that. But I think, I think it's an important description for us to embrace. And I think maybe if we just kind of describe what spiritual death looks like a different way, maybe we can get everybody on board. And, and there's a couple different ways we'll say it. One, one is there's nothing that you can do to make things right with God. I mean, sure, there's good things you can do. You're not incapable of doing a good thing versus a bad thing. 
But there's no amount of good things that you can do to make things right with God. You cannot change your standing with God just by doing good things. In that sense, spiritually, you're dead. And, it was, and, and we'll go another way. We'll say this. There's nothing that you can do to change the condition of your soul. And that's the problem. The problem is not we're doing too many bad things by comparison to the number of good things that we're doing. The problem is, is the condition of our soul is, is, is dead. It is separated from God. And, and there isn't anything that I can do about it. And again, I think that we all understand this conceptually. We probably have been told or at least modeled to at some point by a parent, a relative, unfortunately lots of church people, that um, you are supposed to fake it until you make it. I'm just going to fake it. I'm just going to pretend that I'm doing and living this, and I'm just going to fake it, and that somehow if you fake it long enough, it's going to suddenly become real. Which I don't know of any examples of that. I know plenty of people who talk like that, but I don't know of any example like, yeah, man, I was just pretending to, to, to try to be a good person. And then one day I was like, I was a good person. That's what I really wanted to do. I, I, don't, I don't know that. In fact, what it seems to me is that people who try to fake it until they make it become bitter and isolated and reject God even further. Because it it's disingenuous. It's not real. And it's not satisfying the, the real condition of my heart that I need, I need help with. And faking it doesn't help. Pretending doesn't help. And I, and I begin to realize that the, the, the strong, deep yearnings of my soul, there isn't anything that I can do to make that better. But again, the best verse, the, be, the, best, the best word in this passage, but, but because of His great love for us. Verse 5, He made us alive with Christ. Being spiritually dead seems like a, a really kind of a, a desperate situation, except that God can raise the dead. But we need to make sure we understand only God can raise the dead. And it is important for us to recognize, as humbling as it might be, and offensive as it might be to some of us who might be really strong, independent you know, you think of yourself, I'm, I'm the best at what I do, I'm the strongest in my extended family, I'm the, I'm the smartest, I'm the most capable. To get to a point to where you're going to say, I find myself in a situation I cannot get out of. It's too much for some of us. But it is, it is the very breaking point that I think that God is trying to get all of us to. Whether it be, again, for people who are still kind of on the outside of, of Christianity, trying to figure out if I want to be in, if, if that's you, or you've been at this a while and, 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 and you forget. This is what Paul's saying. Paul's talking to people who have all understood this at least once, and he's desperate for them. Hey, you, you, remember, you remember this, right? You remember that you were dead, and the only reason that got you to where you are right now is because God resurrected you. At one point in your life, you recognized that you had a complete and total dependence on God. You embraced full dependence. 
that if, that if my life is going to get turned around, I'm going to have to be completely dependent on God because the things that need to happen internal to me, I can't fix. And so I have this dependence. I'm completely dependent on God. You remember that. Where did you get, where did you miss it? Where where'd did you, where'd you turn off? At some, at some point you turned off. And he's saying, remember this. Because it is important whether or not you are still trying to figure out if you want to become a Christian or you're wanting to continue to figure out how I can remain a, you know, I can remain a, 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 a diligent follower of Christ. I've got to continue to embrace dependence. Because here's the thing that's about to happen. I don't know how many of you have read Ephesians or aware with it. Man, he is about to take the gloves off and just start punching you. I mean, he just can't. I mean, he, he, he trying not to. You can tell. Sometimes Paul's angry and he's trying, he, he's, he doesn't care. He's trying not to be angry here, but bro, he's angry. I mean, just, I mean, he's like, who does this? Who does this? Who, who, would, who would act this way? Why would you do this? Why would you do this? Why would you stop, stop, stop? Man, we're going to have to get a whole lot of walk, right? A whole lot of what is wrong with you. But he's doing the thing that so many of us need to do. Maybe before you get to that, you need, there's a few things you need to remember. Listen, you were dead. There was nothing you could do. Only, only, he can, only he can change your soul. And you need to embrace real dependence on him. He's the one that got you to where you are, and he's going to be the one that keeps you going. And so it's in that context. Now we kind of we loaded this up. See, listen. You were dead, and you were hopeless. Your, your soul was not broken. You were not just a little bit out of balance. You, you were, you were, your soul was, was beyond repair. It was dead. And Jesus Christ, through his death and physical resurrection, makes it possible for your death to be resurrected as well, and you can be reunited with God. That's what makes this possible. And that same dependence you had on God then, you need to have with God now. And then he comes to verse 10. He comes to verse 10. And says, now, you are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So he brought you back to life. And it says, verse 10, verse 4, because, so that one of the reasons why he did this is because you're his handiwork. He created you. And he created you specifically in Christ, this resurrection, to do good works. This is something that he did. He, you, didn't, you didn't work to earn it because you couldn't. You were dead. And you're not working to pay him back. You are just now living out a purpose that God has for you. And it's important for us to understand this, though. Because in what he's saying there in verse 10 is something very important, which is it's not about you, though. We come here because it's about me. I, 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 something's not right. Something's, something's wrong with me. I need to do better. I want to have a better marriage. I want to have a better family. I, I want to be better connected. This is what I want. I want. But at some point, we have to embrace and understand the idea of, but wait, ultimately, though, it's not about me. That if, even if all the things that I want to be true about me, I want all those things, the only way we're going to get there is in part is recognizing that it's not about you. And because think of, think of it again, this metaphor that Paul is using to describe us. He says, you're his handiwork. You're something that he created. So you can imagine, you're, 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 you're at a museum, and you see this piece of art on the wall, and, it's, and you love it. You say, man, look at that. 
the colors of that and the emotions of it. It's just, it's just awesome. And the artist is standing right there. Man, this is just a beautiful painting. And the artist says, thank you. Like, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking about this painting. I'm talking about how beautiful the colors are. It's like, well, you know, I, I paint that. Shh. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking about how beautiful this picture is. You're like, what? I mean, to compliment the picture is, is the artist. The, the, the value of the, uh, of the art comes from the artist. You know, you can say this a little bit, maybe a, a, a more complex metaphor is, you know, you're out there maybe in a season where you have small kids. Some of you aren't there yet, and you know, I think you can imagine this, though, right? You've got, you got small kids, and, and you know what they're like, right? And you're out in public with them, and you're scared because you're out in public with them. <laughs> and, and, and for whatever reason, that day they're just, doing, they're just doing great, which is awesome, right? And then the grandma figure comes over and says, I've been watching you. And you, you just have some great kids, right? Who, who, who's that compliment for, right? That's me, right? Hey, I know what these kids are like. I, I know the nature of their soul, right? You know, you're a, you're a good parent, right? And so it's important for us. I mean, he created you. He resurrected you. He created the works for you to do. Now just, now just go. This, it's really not about me. It's about me following a path that the God who created me and the God who resurrected me and the God that designed the path he wants me to walk in. And honestly, rather than... than some of us, again, we want to rebel against this because it just makes us... There's actually a lot of freedom there. There's a lot of freedom in that, well, there isn't anything that I can do to make this better. All my strength comes from the almighty creator God of the universe, which is an upgrade. And, and this isn't about me figuring it out on my own. This is about me walking a path that the God who created me created also for me. So then I don't have to feel a lot of anxiety about it. I don't have to have a lot of fear about it. I don't have to feel like I can't do it. I, th- I, th- I think that's where we've been. We've been there so long. I can't. I won't. I, I, I keep failing. I, I, I do it at two weeks at a time. And, 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 and the deep longings of my soul, they never seem to be nourished or changed, and I don't know what to do. And I'm telling you, you keep coming back. I mean, by the time we hit May, and there's going to be plenty of walking. There's going to be plenty of things that, that Paul has to say that we need to embrace about how our life is just off. And I know that you come here today. You come here with a lot of brokenness. You come here with some things that, that just aren't right, some things that you're doing, ways that you're living, ways that you're interacting with each other, uh, ways that are going on. There's some things that are just broken. But can we just for a minute, can we just set those aside? We'll have plenty of time talk about the things that you should be doing or things that you should stop doing. I have plenty of time for that. Can we just sit here for a minute? Can we just sit here for a minute and allow the truths of the reality of the gospel to sink in maybe for the first time or in a deeper way than they have? I was dead. But God raised me. And now it's him. Now it's just him. That's the thing that'll keep us walking.
So we have our worship and reflection time like we always do. And let's just, let's just pray for each other. And let's just sit and just kind of let those truths sink in. The prayer team is people pray that would love to pray with you. Um, there's prayer candles. There's communion available. You can pray at the cross. Lots of awesome things that you can do just to kind of let, just to kind of sit and soak a little bit of what, of what God is wanting us to embrace. We also have an opportunity to give, which obviously falls more into the walk category. Um, it was an awesome deal today. I got to hang out with a, uh, a guy, uh, Brandon Spiller, who uh, we were able to send out and commission as a missionary several years ago. Um, he's doing some great work in Asia. You're not supposed to publicly even talk about where he is, but he's doing awesome things. And, and, and every dollar that we give is impacting um, the far reaches of the world through several people, including Brandon. It was awesome to be able to visit and hang out with him a little bit. And I want you to feel encouraged about what you're doing when you're giving. It's not just getting things right with you and God, but you're changing the world. I encourage you to continue to practice that discipline and just watch God do awesome things in your life and through the world. But again, let's just take a minute and just sit and let the truth of the gospel overwhelm us to give us the power then later to walk. Let's pray. God, I thank you. God, I thank you for just the rich diversity of this crowd. People with all sorts of backgrounds and people who don't know you. People aren't quite sure yet. But people who have been walking and loving and following you for years. And God, I pray right now, whatever our background, whatever it is we brought in here with us, God, that we would take a minute and sit. And let these deep truths of the gospel sink in so that then we can walk. So that then.